Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're this sixth class um, structured study of karma, rebirth, and intentional becoming um, defines a, a key aspect of the Dhamma and also de- defines something that is often confusing to people, meaning the, the meaning of karma and rebirth in the Buddhist Dhamma. And intentional becoming relates directly to the, uh, the second factor of the Eightfold Path and right intention. <coughs> and I understand that many people are confused just by that word becoming. Um, most of that confusion comes from a conditioned response to the word um, and also not understanding the context and what it is. One way that becoming can be used, and it's a rather, um, uh, I don't say archaic way, is, is that it, it can describe a person's appearance. That person is very becoming. And what it's inferring, though, so that's a noun, using the word that way. It's, it's setting a structure for a person. They're becoming. Become, they become objectified. But it's based on attractiveness, isn't it? So you can almost exactly say becoming equals attractiveness. We become what we, we are attracted to. In that way, in the, in the actionable way of becoming, is the way we're using the word becoming. It's a verb. Much like um, if you're a doctor and you want to become a doctor, you first go to, to pre-med, then you go to med school, and then you take on a residency. So first you engage in a study, like we're doing here, and then you engage in the practical application of that until eventually you get to put MD after your name. You, you engage in the process of becoming initially ignorant of what it meant to be a doctor, and through study and practice, you became a doctor. Is that clear to everyone? Is it, uh, is it not clear to anyone? If it, and online, please say, yeah, please say you're confused by that, if you are. Everybody understands that? Really? You're making an analogy. You're all good to go. You're making an analogy between becoming a doctor and becoming awakened. Yes, yeah, so in the same way, thank you, Jen. Yeah. In the same way, we come to um, this doctor class in, in the Dhamma to become awakened. So we have a choice, and this speaks directly to karma, rebirth, and the meaning of becoming. And you hear, you hear me say it over and over again in class. Excuse me for doing that. The Dhamma is practiced at the moment of contact. We apply wise restraint at the moment of contact. Wise restraint framed by the Eightfold Path. We know where to restrain ourselves. And in that way, by first studying and then, and then incorporating the practice of jhana meditation and refined mindfulness informed by the Eightfold Path, in that way, we move from ignorance of what awakening means to awaken. We become awakened. Much like the doctor started out ignorant, like, like Kevin started out once, not knowing what to be a doctor, and he became a great doctor. So it makes sense to you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you can, you can apply that to anything that we want to learn, whether it's it learn how to, how to change the oil in the car. You first look at a schematic. You figure out where it is. The first few times you do it, you probably dump some hot oil on your face like I did a few times. And then you learn. And so I became an oil change technician. And in the, pra- in the practice of studying and implementing the Dhamma, 
I am becoming Buddha, hence the name of the book. We are all in the process of becoming a Buddha, meaning awakened. We're not becoming Siddhartha Gautama. There was already one of those who awakened. We're becoming a John Haspel Buddha, a Ram Manders Buddha, a Jen, Jen Buddha. All of you, Buddha means awakened. So the process is a process of becoming. In the context of the Dharma, we have a choice each and every moment, or we learn this, that we can either become further ignorant by not changing our thinking, but even understand that, that each and every moment we become additionally ignorant unless we do something to change our thinking that is ignorant of Four Noble Truths. It does, and it shouldn't be looked at like we're becoming more ignorant or less ignorant. We're just ignorant. And so there's a fine line and a, and a, um, uh, a clear line between ignorance and awakening. And it's a very def well-defined ignorance, ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So by developing understanding of Four Noble Truths, we become awakened. Let me get to the Karma Sutta and tie that into becoming. So, there's a line from the Theragatha, I think it's 4.17, I just read it a little while ago, that says, what is to be is what is here. That's also a definition of becoming. <clears throat> what is to be is what is here. We cannot become anything other than what we are in this moment. That's the dispassionate, impersonal view. If I think I should, I should have become something other than what I am in this moment, I'm not practicing the Dhamma. That doesn't mean I don't recognize that there's things to, to abandon about my own behavior. But I have to own them first before I can abandon anything, right? It has to be mine. I have to acknowledge ownership of it. So, last week, Matt taught us the Loka Sutta. Karma is the field, consciousness the seed, consciousness the seed, craving the moisture. So what we are planting in our karmic field, what we're holding in mind, is what we will become. Um, could everyone turn their mics off, please? Thank you. What we most want to learn is what we will become. And what we most want to learn is not always good for us, is it? I wanted to learn the quickest way I could get to the bottom of a vodka bottle. I found out and almost killed me. I, I'm using an extreme example. Whatever we want to become, we will learn, we will study. We might not study it formally, we might study it on a, on, uh, in a group of, of like-minded Facebookers or like-minded Twitterers. And we can see that happening all the time in the world, probably more so now in the last 10 or 15 years since the beginning of social media, that people are becoming these isolated groups based on basically on your likes. And they're taking positions and making life decisions based on these fabrications. It's really strange to, to watch and understand. Another way of saying this is what we focus on, we will become. What we hold in mind, we will become. So again, is anybody confused about becoming? Well, I'm only <clears throat> confused um, as far as where it fits in Dependent origination. I mean, your overall uh, your overall argument is 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 perfect. So <coughs> where did, well, let me let, bring that up again. I don't want to get into a conversation before, and I know I called on you mm -hmm. so before yeah. I get to the sutta. But yeah, look, that, bring it up there. That's important. Mm -hmm. So this is the the karma sutta. Yes, there's actually a sutta on karma, because it was it was something that was uh, a common word during the Buddha's time and a commonly misunderstood 
word during the Buddhist time, just like today. Karma is not some um, grand uh, universal scheme of behavioral modification through reward and punishment, which is how karma is almost always portrayed. You know, I think even Charlie Brown was told to have bad karma when Lucy would pull the football. That was bad karma that did it. We apply it in very hurtful ways, too. I remember when, uh, it's probably eight years ago now, we had the uh, typhoons that hit Japan and thousands of people got killed. And I remember hearing a, a commentator say that, that that was bad karma, that it was because of the ills that the people had done. That. That's not karma. Karma isn't good and it isn't bad. It's completely impersonal unless we choose to make it personal. On one occasion, the Buddha addressed those gathered. Listen and pay close attention, friends, and I will teach you past and current karma, karma, the cessation of karma, and the path and practice leading to the cessation of karma. So doing this is important, or the Buddha wouldn't teach it. But we have to understand it, or we can't bring it to cessation, can we? Past karma is to be seen as the sixth sense base. The sixth sense base are our five physical senses. <clears throat> Excuse me. The sixth sense bases our five physical senses and the sixth sense of thinking or consciousness. And remember, this isn't grand cosmic consciousness. This is ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Past karma is to be seen as the sixth sense base. What does it mean? Past karma is developed by coming in contact with the world through our senses. That's how we human beings relate to what's around them. <clears throat> and interpreting what's occurring from a point of view rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. And so as soon as we do that, we, it doesn't matter how significant or insignificant the thought is, or the thought attached to the object, it's still forming karma, it's still feeding the karmic field that's going to grow as our life. Is that clear to everyone? Again, really what we're talking about is what we're feeding ourselves. The Buddha often refers to this as sustenance. We have to have good sustenance. We have to have good nourishment for our minds to understand what we're doing here. Does karma work for good things and bad things? Yes, karma is completely impersonal. And thank you for the question. And it's, it's foolish to strive only for good karma. Because what are you doing when you, when, you're, when, you, when you have to get only good karma? And you have a great aversion to bad karma, don't you? Like such as... <clears throat> getting a cold or slipping on a floor, floor, floor or experiencing a typhoon or the, 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 uh, the, the um, tornadoes we just had. That's not good or bad karma. And getting stuck in a tornado, having your house destroyed is not karma. How you react to it is. If you blame God or blame the weatherman or blame the government, you've lost your mind. That's, now you're feeding the, your karmic field. If you simply understand that what's occurring around me, even if you're in the midst of a, of a tornado, is completely impersonal, has nothing to do with you as an individual, then you won't lose your mind over it. You won't take it personally. You, you, and also you'll be better able to act um, in a much more skillful way. Let me continue with this. Thank you, Nina. Past karma is to be seen as a sixth sense base. Karma is fabricated. It's put together. It's manufactured. It's corrupted by intention and experience by a sense contact. What is my intention in this moment? Is my intention in this moment to become further ignorant? Even if that's through lack of, even lack of knowledge that I'm ignorant? Or is, is my intention in this moment to become awakened? To recognize and abandon ignorance of four noble truths and develop the Dhamma? 
The sixth sense base is past karma. The sixth sense base is, is how we, we maintain our karma. It's from that, that wrong interpretation of what was occurring, from coming in contact with, with our senses, perceiving it incorrectly through consciousness, rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, and then that becomes our reality. Then that becomes our reality. We thought ourselves into that corner, into that karma corner. And how do we get out of it? So does an awakened human being have no karma? Yes, we're gonna Yes. Stay tuned. <laughs> Current karma is fabricated thoughts, words and deeds arising and passing away. What are the what's the middle portion of the eightfold path? To be mindful of our thoughts, words and deeds. It direct it's the direct path towards recognizing and abandoning becoming further ignorant so that we can become awakened. Many, many people, the first thing that they feed back to me about recognizing the Dhamma begins with right speech. Almost everyone I've ever taught sees it that way. And that's really the right way to begin. Because it's, it's, it's our words that we're using in relation to other people in the world that, that will reveal what we're holding in mind. But even more importantly is, is the story we're telling ourselves. The self-speech will always reveal the quality of our mind. And if that quality of mind is rooted in, in self-judgment, self-loathing, it's going to, we can only become further ignorant. If that self-reflection is rooted in gentleness and framed by the Eightfold Path, then we are the in instruments of our awakening. And at some point, we'll bring karma to cessation, as the Buddha teaches. Cessation of karma is the release from ignorance of Four Noble Truths, and the three forms of stress and suffering of bodily, verbal, and mental fabrications. That just means we, we maintain and continue our ignorance in thought, word, and deeds. This is the cessation of karma. I'm going to read it again. This is also the culmination of the path, by the way. Cessation of karma is the release from ignorance of four noble truths and the three forms of stress and suffering of bodily, verbal, and mental fabrications. We're simply no longer harboring ignorance. And so now when we come in contact with the world through our sixth sense base, we, have, we are simply a reference point to what's occurring, an impersonal, dispassionate reference point to what's occurring. And in that way, our lives take on meaning. Why? Because for the first time, for most of us, we are actually present for our life as our life unfolds. For all the mundane moments that up until that point were probably experienced as boredom or ambivalent too, are now meaningful for the sole reason that we're living it. That's how we live a life. That's how we have a meaningful life. It's not the great acquisitions or great accomplishments. If you want to have a successful human life, be present for it. And that's what the Buddha teaches us. Because if we can be present in a dispassionate, <clears throat> impersonal way in this moment, now I have offered myself the opportunity to become awakened. The path leading to the cessation of karma is precisely the Noble Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. And then the Buddha says, this is the Noble Eightfold Path, the path of practice leading to the cessation of karma. So we don't want good karma and we don't want bad karma. We don't want any karma. Because karma is a manifestation of conditioned mind. So we can condition our minds all we want to developing and doing things. A lot of modern Buddhism is rooted in something. If you've been to a lot of different Buddhist practices, you'll hear 
the word merit bandied about a lot, that we should always be striving for merit and doing things for merit. Interesting enough, a lot of times that merit is money merit that people are looking for. But it's other things. There, there is one uh, a, a very uh, significant Tibetan tradition. Uh, merit is gained by nearly incessant uh, full prostration bowing. In fact, it's taught that your Dharma practice can only begin after 108,000 full prostrations. Has nothing to do with awakening, does it? That's how I, I actually took a vow in that practice, and I studied. I did it for about eight minutes and stopped. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Please. So the, the metaphor of the field falls apart because you're not looking to grow this beautiful life or this. Well, but you could say that, and, and it, it's a good, interesting point. I was thinking about this. There is such a thing as skillful craving, chanda, skillful desire. And so the skillful desire to awaken then, then directs our consciousness, the seed, towards growing a field that is experienced as awakening. So it, it does hold up if you look at it that way. Um, again, we're, we're using um, uh, metaphors and euphemism to describe a, a, a quality of mind that is itself rather ephemeral. But it's the same thing. We can, we can grow... How would I say it? If you say awakening is a field of authentic Dharma practice, then it, then it, then you can continue with the metaphor. Okay, it's just that I know that that is often confusing in this in this teaching because it can be kind of fall apart because if there's what is it if nothing's growing? If it's cessation, then yeah, there's no field. But I think even you a couple of weeks ago. Continue the metaphor to you, you grow beautiful things. Yes, and so that's the, and, and that really is our choice. I mean, you can look at it. I remember reading a. I but you, we can look at our lives as our own personal garden. We can grow whatever we want, and that really is true. We can grow peaceful and calm and very wise plants. <laughs> Or we can we can grow creepers that get all intertangled with everything else and, and kill other plants, you know, kill trees like like some uh, vines do. Now, you could also see uh, um, the field in, in the in the physical sense as in a, a, a force field. Well, you could see your own life as what you've grown. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, I'm I am <laughs> a little broken up now, but this is what I've grown in my life. You are all right now, arahant or not, what you've grown. You are responsible for what you are now. What is to be is what is here. What I am to be is what is here. That's what I need to attend to. And even if I realize I have a couple of weeks to go before I awaken, I'm fortunate to understand that because now I, I know which way to go. I know what I want to become. Most people never even think about this, this in terms of, of understanding their own humanity. Most people want to become something that is um, based on acquisition. I want to become rich, I want to become famous, I want to become tall enough to play center field for the Yankees. It's always grasping, always greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. Always at play, always in contact with the sixth sense base, excuse me. So when you become an awakened being, you still experience things as beautiful like you just won't need it to be different yeah that's it you're just a reference point to what's occurring 
So life goes on. You know, horrible tornadoes and beautiful sunsets, they happen every day. And we can be present for them as they occur rather than needing all these things to be different than they are, to fit my own view that's rooted in ignorance. If I can let go of it, and again, it's not trying to acquire a view that is beyond ignorance, because it's not. It's a lack of ignorance. It's bringing ignorance to cessation through understanding. Again, it's really karma, this whole idea of karma and becoming, all of the Dhamma occurs in our minds. The form is the vehicle to carry that mind through a human life. That's how a human being has life, and, and that's how a rock doesn't have a human life. It's an informed form. But it's up to me to continue to inform my form in a manner that becomes me. What will I become? What do I want to become? I want to become awakened above everything else in the world, right now, in this moment. I want to become awakened. Because if I can do that, then I have everything, don't I? Because I don't need anything. I have understanding. I have the most valuable jewel that anybody could have. Understanding what it means to be a human being. Friends, I have now taught you the pet that I have now taught you past and current karma, the cessation of karma, and the noble eightfold path leading to the cessation of karma. Whatever any teacher would do out of true sympathy and compassion for their students, I have done for you with this teaching. Listen to this. This is twenty five hundred years ago. It almost brings me to tears today. An awakened human being teaching this. Whatever any teacher would do out of true sympathy and compassion for their students, I have done for you with his teaching. And he's still doing it, isn't he? Don't be mindless. I'm, I'm emphasizing that because I, the, 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 you, can, you can feel the Buddha's emphasis on these words. Don't be mindless. Don't be foolish. Do not fall into regret for not developing the Dhamma. Over there are roots of trees and empty huts. Establish seclusion and practice jhana. This is my teaching to you. Thank you. So, is anybody confused about becoming now? Sure. So the field is reality. Yeah, let's start with let's start here. Let's start with David. Is that the field is reality? It's not like just if we define it that it's just is, and you're not looking to wallow in some negative thing or make it more beautiful it just is yeah we got to be careful we don't try to stretch the metaphor too far but, but it's uh, an interesting metaphor yeah that's what are we going to grow a catching thing because if you don't have the seed or the moisture then what's there but yet that's it, right it's just reality is left mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. once we take me out of it you know remember the bahia sutta when there's no me here there or anywhere the Buddha's words, then for you, Bahia, you are awakened. When there's no me here, there, or anywhere in the world, then for me, I have become awakened. And it's the only reference we need to, again, we, we, we've gone through this a few times, picking up words and trying to, trying to be um, too definitive about the word. In the context of the Dhamma, becoming is an action word. Karma, by the way, it means action. And it is acting to awaken, much like karma. Whatever we do, whatever our thoughts, words, and deeds produce in our karmic field will produce further ignorance.
But within that field, we can start growing a fine crop of beautiful flowers called the awakening flowers within that same structure. And as we continue to grow the karmic field and the awakening field, the awakening field will overcome the karmic field. Boy, I'm doing a pretty good job with this. <laughs> because the awakening beautiful roses are much more powerful than the creepers that are out there. Because they're based on reality. And, and what we're developing is also based on something that we're going we're gonna to do a retreat on this coming up. The midwinter retreat is going to be on Pasadi or Calm. Think of it this way. How can I be calm and peaceful in this moment if I'm always trying to get what I want or get what I think I need? I can't. I'm always in a state of stress, aren't I? Because it's never enough, whatever it is that I get. Or it might be too much, something that's coming down the pike at me. Instead of just understanding this is life. This is life unfolding. Jen. Well, we're done meditating. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I past karma is should be viewed as the sixth sense space. Yes. That. Um, that hit me interestingly today and I think I'm like still chewing on that because if karma is um woo, distracted distracted <laughs> um, that's gonna do his work yeah yeah um if karma if the sixth sense base is if, if you're Allowing sense phenomena to arise and pass away on their own. Sights, sounds, smells, taste, and your overall state of consciousness. If that's arising and passing away without you grasping onto it and wanting it to be different or using it to identify self, then your karma is moving, well, I mean, whatever. You're, you're at peace. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you're... Even if your karmic field is still growing, still producing. Right. Yeah, yeah, if you're not awakened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Whereas if you are essentially having sense experience and wanting it to be different than what it is that will that is angst yeah so your experience is <clears throat> more calm. uncomfortable at the very least right and constantly distracting and distracted yeah <clears throat> so that you just you just explain why human beings spend their whole life never even considering what, what it means to be a human being, which is surprising to me. But we've been, it, it, it also touches on the idea of salvation, and that's where I think the idea of salvation and religions formed, because we couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've, we've created a repository, meaning so-called spirituality or, or external manipulators to our plane to explain 
what we can't explain. Right, because because explaining is is the is the tendency. That's the condition. Yeah, we're gonna go to move it. away from <clears throat> what's occurring. Yeah, like just as Vachagoda did and many others. You know, it's your questions. It's the things that you are holding in mind that are that are confusing you. Let go of those things. Mm. They're all rooted in eye making, which produces this this lousy karmic field for us to live in. But even that single phrase, karma should be seen as past. Or, no, past karma should be seen as the sixth sense base. It also directs your mind towards what you need to do in the moment to. be practicing wise restraint, which is coming back to allowing feelings and thoughts and the breath yeah. to arise and pass away and personally. Yeah, and the, the, the reason why the sixth sense base is the repository, as the Buddha teaches, the sixth sense base is... Um, an example would be... Of, the sixth sense base is, is the vehicle that we use to maintain conditioned thinking. Right until there's something to interrupt it. And it's just an example from my own life, I don't know why I thought of it. Uh, when I was about eight and nine years old, my mother bought a, she went a blueberry picking and came home with a big bucket of it and put it in the downstairs refrigerator and I found it. And I ate half that bucket. And I got sick as hell for at least, it was, ta- it was I was 30 or 30, newly married, I was 31 before I could eat blueberries again. <laughs> that past karma, was locked into my my memory, but also locked into my sixth sense base. I couldn't stand the taste mm. or the smell of blueberries. And many people have these ate bad foods, you know. Had food. Yeah, it's a good analogy. Yeah, well, we do that not just with, with too many blueberries, we do it with everything. Mm-hmm. In that way, there was a, por- a part of me that became blueberries. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I have it with uh, whiskey. <laughs> I can't stand the taste because one day, you know, I got really nastily drunk on on whiskey, and and <clears throat> that aversion is 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 still there. Yeah, that that's the, just another good example of what we're talking about. So you grew a, a karmic field that was averse to whiskey, mm-hmm. and so now, just as an example, thirty years after that last sip of whiskey, you're still conditioned towards it. That's your karmic field, mm-hmm. so you can't enjoy whiskey. But, again, that's not such a terrible thing, even for somebody like me. Yeah. Um, but, the, but we do it with other things, like people, like ourselves, like our own reflection in the mirror. Then life really becomes devastating, doesn't it? When we, when we lose that inner poise, when we're no longer sure of ourselves. That's how human beings live their lives that way. That's why it's really so tragic. But we don't have to. We understand. We've been given the opportunity to become something else become awakened. Jen, were you done? I'm done. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Ron. Hello, John. <clears throat> what are you becoming? <clears throat> at times I'm becoming confused and at times I'm becoming more clear. <laughs> ah, a lesson in impermanence. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> the overall arc of your argument that, that we, we <clears throat> in every moment have this choice to uh, to to intend towards awakening or to intend back to ignorance that's you know that's that's a clear one um, my confusion is really in you know when I'm going through dependent origination how do I fit that that word coming in there that, that phenomenon uh, 
and that's you can just what add still, you can just add ignorant after it. Yeah, because that's uh, the content. You start with the first line from mm-hmm. ignorance as a requisite condition. From ignorance as a requisite condition, take it through the chain mm-hmm. comes becoming. What In, ignorance is feeding becoming, so we're becoming further ignorant. Right, but that would bring us back to to the beginning. That now, now you're established. No, it, everything everything in dependent origination is rooted in that original. We're going to talk about yeah, this later. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's um, frankly, um, it doesn't change my my practice. Good. Uh, it doesn't really change my understanding of the Dharma. So it, it's just um, a way that I'm, I, I need, you know, I like dependent origination because it's, it's, it's crispness, it's clarity in there. It really takes you from, you know, from every phenomenon and, see, and shows you how it turns into yeah. the next one. Yeah. And I'm still struggling in how how becoming fits in there and and how to and how to interpret it and then then come and then go well, further the, on t- into into birth where and, the buddha and, describes this is the whole mass of suffering so that's i think that's three threads removed uh-huh. so becoming is pointing towards that we're becoming the whole ball of suffering right. in that process rooted in ignorance so when we, we can recognize and abandon that initial ignorance, and it's ignorance of Four Noble Truths that the Buddhist teaching, then we will no longer become a ball of suffering, we'll become awakened human beings. We'll become calm. Pasadi. I'm also looking at like, why the Buddha was so enigmatic about, about this. See, I, this, I don't think he was at all. I think every Dhamma teaching he ever gave relates to becoming. Right, but when he talks about becoming specifically, when he uses the word bhava, he's, you know, he doesn't nail it down. But yeah, but the, I think the context is what nails it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, when, he, when Ananda said to him, becoming, becoming, to what extent is there becoming, then the Buddha told him. Right. It, it, it is that way. But you see how even, in, in, even Ananda, you know, after having been there and after having heard him Use the word all this time, he was still confused. Yeah, but Saraputta and Moggallana weren't. Many others weren't. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, again, it, it's one of those strange kind of things. I, it, to me, it's rather obvious. And I'm not, it's not a comment yeah. that you should see it that way. I understand no. where people get hung up on it. Yeah, and, and I, um, another thing might be we, we want to we think that we're becoming something that can be objectified. Awakening really can't be objectified, can it? We, we live it, mm-hmm. um, but. As, in the, as people ignorant of Four Noble Truths, we want to become something. We want to know that we're going somewhere because it feels like annihilation. So in our minds, we, we, we might not be able to, to go to becoming in this way because we insist, okay, what is the Buddha saying? What am I becoming? He says, you're becoming an awakened human being. To me, that's worth the price of admission. Thank you, Ron. Good morning, Julia. Good morning, good morning, John. Thank you for the teaching. This is kind of like a question because you kind of mentioned this. Somebody mentioned it before. So now I'm an our hunt, and um, congratulations. Yeah, let's say I'm an our So I still have karma, right? But I don't create new karma. Is that true? Is that no, the way it I, works? The, and I, so at six cents base, I. An awakened human being has a, has abandoned their past conditioned thinking and so have abandoned their karmic field and are now just living in an awakened state. Now, there's other suttas that I'm going to get to 
sometime this year, there's a series of them, where the Buddha talks about arahants that do lose their way. Uh, and I'll, I'll, we'll, oh we're gonna, boy. I'm going to get deeper into that. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, yeah, again, I probably shouldn't have... You know, no, Wait till I teach the sutta and okay. put it put it in the right context. I'm not think about that it, it, it shouldn't be looked at as something that's lost, but but even an arahant can make a decision that I don't mm-hmm. like to be awakened. You know, I, I want to, I like I like to give in to sensual desires mm-hmm. because you're living in the world. You're always exposed to it. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're like Mogalana who spent most of his time, and maybe I speculate, maybe that's why Mogalana chose to live mo- most of his life as a hermit because he, again, pure speculation on my part that he felt living in the world in any way was too much of a temptation for him, too much of a sensual indulgence. So, and I, I think a lot of people, are, I mean, I'm a little bit like that, I guess. You know, I, I like being disentangled from the world. Uh, now when I find myself, uh, like if I get three or four doctor's appointments in a week, I get a little frazzled because it's just, I don't like being out in the world and being with, I was like that was a kid. I couldn't stand going into like supermarkets that were crowded. I never liked, a lot of people. I just became like agitated by all the energy that was going around. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> That's okay. Did that? Uh, did whatever I say help? <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you answer the question? I, don't, I think so. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm confused. So if you, your question was still, if you're awakened, all your karma is gone. Well, if you're an arahant, is an arahant? Yeah. So I, I, the, the, the definition of an arahant would be someone who has abandoned ignorance of all of four noble truths, and so there is no more karma being produced. Produced, right? Being produced. But that that person is living in peace, but that person could decide. Again, it's the, an arahant is simply an awakened human being, someone who understands the nature of stress and suffering. That doesn't mean that that person might decide, okay, I like stress and suffering. Devadatta was a Buddhist cousin, and he certainly wasn't an awakened human being, but he was pretty far advanced, and he decided at one point in his life that he had to kill the Buddha, and actually twice he tried to kill him. So we're we're not. We're not immune, as, as awakened human beings, we're not immune to the world. The, I was asked a few years ago a great question uh, that kind of took me aback by a newcomer. He says, why did the Buddha keep meditating after his awakening? Why, that person saw meditation as a chore to get somewhere. Of course the Buddha would keep doing that. He was still living in the world. He still maintained that pure refuge of, of a well-concentrated mind. It was it wasn't a tool to get somewhere, but it was a tool to maintain his arahantship, his understanding. So again, we're not we're not getting somewhere where we can then stop practice either. We continue to live life life from that point of view of an awakened human being. But it's up to us to keep the practice going. Thank you, Julie. Really good yeah, question, yeah, Michael. Hi, John. Now that I'm more confused than ever. Uh, <laughs> what are you most confused about? Actually, uh, maybe I'm not confused. Let me let me uh, see what I think. See what I can say about this. I look at um, karma as something. Uh, obviously, there's a field, a previous field of conditioned thinking, right? Yeah. Conditioned way of being. That's karma, isn't it? Yep. So. I know my previous way of thinking and what I'm trying to, uh, how I'm trying to uh, look at things as they occur now, 
my previous way of thinking were, was for uh, events or individuals to be different than the way they are. I think that's any time that uh, I've, my quality of mind is not right, it's because I'm, I'm craving or desiring for things to be different than the way they are, whether it be individuals, yep. again, or situations that I might occur. So, I always look at uh, karma as that uh, coming down to uh, desire in the present moment. Mm -hmm. if, 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 I, uh, if I have a self-referential desire occurring, I'm skillful, then that's keeping uh, that the moisture of the seed is craving. Yep, that craving is a fertilizer in that case. So yep. the root for me of what karma is, is, is that desire. It's, it's yep. desire because desire is a self-referential, egoical uh, pursuit. Yep. So, Except if it's skillful. Right? Yeah, if, it's, if, it, if your desire, if your skillful desire is towards awakening, yes. That's, Skillful desire would be uh, what we're doing, what we're doing, yeah. and living the eightfold paths with yeah. uh, right effort uh, uh, and intention. So, yes, uh, I look at it uh, from that perspective. Uh, also, when we, had, uh, I think David brought up uh, the fact that uh, if there's uh, bad karma, then there's good karma. Uh, I look at the good karma is basically the release of the bad karma and uh, the ignorance that binds me to my conditioned beliefs. So, again, the root here for me is desire. If I'm desiring something, yeah. then I'm creating more, more karma because that's wrong view. Yep. So that's where I go to. You're seeing it clearly. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, Becky. Good morning. <clears throat> um, the thing that I found most helpful is the sentence or the idea that you are, if you are awakened, you are a reference point for what is happening <clears throat> in your life. Yeah. I can, I can, I can understand that. I can get that. And I can see how peaceful that would be because if you're a reference point for what's happening there's no me in it at all and you are completely present and then so if if that happens to be the case for you which would be awesome <laughs> you will still interact with the world. Oh yeah, of course. But every interaction that you have will be skillful. Beautifully said. And you, if you, if you, not that I do this, but if you try to, to, to not explain, but I don't know. 
I guess you really can't explain that to someone else that that if you get to that state and every every interaction you have is skillful, then you will be able to have a great impact on the world and those around you. But that should not be your goal. Just as Siddhartha did and still continues, right? And sometimes when I would when I would study this in the past, before today, I would I would see it as being a reference point for what hap- what's happening, but but not really uh, engaging. And then I would think about people who I admire out there, who engage in ways that I think are skillful, to make changes for good in the world. And they are obviously creating clinging craving, or, or they're going after something, they're desiring something to be different, but it's a skillful desire. I don't know what theirs is, but I can understand what a skillful desire would be, yeah. and how to, I don't know how to have that, how to have that, how to have a skillful desire, even though you might think of desire as clinging craving. Is that, am I right? Yes, you're absolutely right. And, but in order to have a skillful desire, you have to understand the nature of humanity. Right. You, you have to understand, in fact, you have to understand your own, as Michael just pointed you have to understand your own greed, aversion, and your own deluded thinking. But that's what the Dhamma practice is for, to recognize that and abandon it. To, to really understand at, at, you know, at, the, at your most basic level that if I want something, it's I've not, lost my mind. Uh, right. And it, I'm not gonna, you know, and I, again, it doesn't I mean that, that, that I need too. to go have a banana for breakfast. I got to, you know, I've got to eat something. That, right. that, you know, we, again, people will always jump to extreme views to say, well, that can't be true. <clears throat> In reasonableness, forget the Dhamma. Whatever I do, no matter what it is, will determine what I become. Everything. I mean, that, that's how a, what a human life is. In the context of the Dhamma, as Dhamma practitioners, we practice the Dhamma to become awakened. And we, and we understand things. To someone who's, um, uh, to, to someone who's a, a devout Methodist, understanding karma is completely useless, isn't it? But to us, it's, it's incredibly vital and important. It's, be, it's because of what we've chosen to do with our lives that the Dhamma itself becomes relevant and useful. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it has to be relevant, or that it would be relevant and useful for the whole world. Right. The Buddha did not set himself up as a savior, but he also was clearly he also clearly understood the good that he was doing people by his awakened state, and that's how he taught. And he taught others that way. He didn't. He never taught anybody to you know go save the world. Mm-hmm. He said, "Go find the root of a tree or an empty hut and do jhana." And in so doing. He saved a portion of the world anyway. You know, at least he, he minimized the aggression of that group, of this group of people, right? Right. And so we're having the same effect. And he did the same thing with some people who were more aggressive. Than oh, yeah. And he never turned, Angela Miller, the murderer, he never turned anybody away because of their karma. Even somebody whose karma had him walking around northern India with bloody fingers hanging off his neck. That was his karma. That, that was Angela Miller's karma. And he made everybody know it. 
until he came across the Buddha. And the Buddha gave him a simple and gentle teaching and Angela Miller never harmed another soul. He took to the Dhamma immediately and that once his, his mental process drove him to become a murderer. Once he met the Buddha, his mental process drove him to become awakened, as Siddhartha did. Also pointing out that anybody can do this. At any time. At any time. Mm. The, Buddha will, the, the Buddha's Dhamma will meet every... Mm. We talked a little bit about this earlier. Will meet us, any human being, wherever they are, wherever are. and work, provided you take to the Dhamma wholeheartedly <clears> and develop <throat> it. And I've seen that. You know, I've been doing this long enough to see it. I see it in every one of you and all the other regulars, and I see it on people online. It actually works. You know, if it was just me and I was saying those same words that had the effect, I really would be a liar if I didn't see it in other people. Or at least I couldn't teach this way. I could say, you know, look, look what I did and it made, me, it made me like this and I like it. I don't know what the hell you're going to do, though. <laughs> no, but, I mean, it, it, we, we, are, we are human beings in different stages of life, different professions, different ideologies, but we come together on a Dhamma and each and every one of us is becoming awakened. Not because if you got five great or six, how many teachers do we have here now? Six? It's because of the Dhamma that you're doing it. Because of your involvement with the Dhamma. You're, you're, you're all fortunate, I am too, to have great teachers. You know, like the five that I have and, and the other one, Siddhartha. But he's still teaching after all this time. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, John. Hello, Adam. Good morning, John. <clears throat> um, so, karma is obviously a really loaded term. <laughs> and... Uh, and we're all sort of been wrestling with it, I guess, and I certainly did in my past understanding of the term. Um, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who, when, you, when I first heard you read this, thought that the word dukkha had been swapped out for karma. Almost. Um, and I'm having a little trouble understanding, or maybe I need to understand better, what is the distinction? I mean, if karma is something you want to cease and you know, extinguish the same way you want to you know, unload dukkha um, what is the what is the correlation the, the karmic field that we've grown from our consciousness fed by our own craving see if the word the, the term field I think is what's confusing me a bit the, the mm -hmm. field itself the, the plants that are growing in the field are the individual manifestations of dukkha of stress and suffering you know this rotten plant and that rotten plant and that that's dukkha it's what we're producing because of what we're thinking, what we're holding in mind, that is fueled by craving, is producing the dukkha in our life. So karma is, an, is another way of describing the container for dukkha. You know, and again, it's just a word. It's just a word that we can use to develop understanding. Well, it seems important, though, because it seems like it's, oh, it is. it's part of the key to unlocking the cycle-dependent origination. Yes, but it, uh, and, uh, yes, it is just a word, but it's an important word <clears throat> that that teaches us that what I'm holding, whatever I'm holding in mind is what's going to produce the experience of this moment and will fuel the next moment. Is it taking things personally? Dukkha is taking things personally. Mm. So karma is, is, that, is that ongoing manifestation of dukkha, of stress and suffering, of ignorance. And again, it should be seen as a descriptive word rather than a state of being or some type of energy. Karma is completely inert. 
write it down on a piece of paper. That's all it is, is what's written down on a piece of paper and how we relate to what we're growing in our life. But it's not something that's inescapable. It's not something that is imposed on us. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a penalty and it's not a reward. It's just a description of, of a conditioned mind living a human life. This is how it works. Yeah. As the Buddha says, you know, uh, um, we are the heir of our actions. That's his like little kernel way of, of describing karma. Yes, yeah, so I was always heard it described previously as cause and effect. You know, nothing. Sometimes characterless. Right. Right. Yeah. No. It's a function of cause and effect. It's a cause and effect no. in the mind. It's not a, a physical force. No. Right. Well, the, the cause the cause is craving, fueling, fueling ignorant thinking. So it's not karma that isn't. Again, that's how it's often portrayed as cause and effect. That if you did, if I do this. I mentioned Angela Miller. Angela Miller is probably the perfect example of, it, of why it's not cause and effect. Mm. That common thinking of karma as cause and effect would say that Angela Miller must suffer being murdered 99 times because he killed 99 people. So you have to, you have to balance the scales. It's nonsense. The Buddha gave him a teaching. This bloodthirsty murder gave him a teaching. He awakened. He didn't have to suffer because of his past suffering. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Does that make sense to anyone? Well, I mean, I guess if you're brought up believing in hell and that there's a, or even, you know, that to me what was even worse was purgatory because I figured I could probably beat hell but I didn't think I was going to beat purgatory. <laughs> uh, it, 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 they're, from a thoughtful person, those are ridiculous things to think. Yet we believe it and so, we, so that becomes our karmic field. How conditioned thinking is affecting my current experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's karma. <coughs> and my current experience of suffering is dukkha. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how your conditioning is contributing to your dukkha is karma. Thank you. <laughs> Beautiful, so, yeah. That's what I needed. So <laughs> Thank you. Okay. You could think of karma as the landscape of your life. Mm. Which is always changing. The most important thing is that you is that you have sort of a handle on it so that when you actually experience it, you yeah. you on um, you go, Oh, this is my conditioning and it changes. Yeah. It's always different. My experience of dukkha is always different, which is why it's not important. Yeah. Because it's impermanent. If you, it, if you want to know what your karma is, take a look in the mirror. Because your karma is what you think of yourself in this moment. Because that's what will determine your experience of it. And, if that, and that does, often our thinking, as it relates to ourselves, isn't clear. That's where the Dhamma comes in. That's where a well-concentrated mind, framed by the Eightfold Path, gives us the ability to see what I'm holding in mind. What am I thinking about myself in this moment? Because that's everything. Yeah. You know, what I'm thinking of you in the world or, you know, or a pile of snakes has no bearing on who I am. What I think of myself does. Always. In each and every one of you. What you think of yourself right now is determining your experience. That's why we have to be very, very gentle with ourselves. Because when you fall into, you know, again, David and I had the discussion that, um, wow, I'm really screwed up. I got a long way to go. 
That's not, that's not where you start Dhamma practice. That might be the beginning for many people, but in order to start practicing the Dhamma, you have to recognize all of that is impersonal. All of that karmic field that I'm dragging around with me right now has nothing to do with me, save that I keep it going. As the Buddha teaches here, we can bring that to cessation. Michael. Uh, couldn't we maybe understand it from this perspective going forward then? Uh, to be selfless in the present moment. Right? Yep. Because if we're selfless, we're not going to be producing more karma. Nope. You'll be, you'll, you're now in the process of becoming awakened. Yeah. Okay. Another beautiful simplification. Did that cover it, Adam? Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank you for your your question. Hello, Kevin. So, really, you know, karma is the field, consciousness is the seed, and craving is the moisture. So, just to repeat what everybody's saying, and you know, to reiterate it. The second noble truth tells us that the cause of dukkha is craving. Yeah. So if we can starve, if we can erase this craving, eliminate this craving, then we are actually going to starve this seed of consciousness through the anger of ignorance. And we will we'll let go of karma. Yeah. And one needs to eliminate karma. You can't, you don't have to have karma. Yeah. But you don't want it. Yeah. yeah. But how do you do that? You're doing it right now, Michael. No, no. You have an eightfold no. path. The eightfold path yeah. tells mm-hmm. you how to eliminate craving. Yeah. That's, and that's you have being to, selfless. It, and it's it's repeated, 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 and I repeat it every day of my life trying to grapple with it. And it doesn't seem to be getting there, but the path is there. And if you cue to the path. The Eightfold eightfold Path is a selfless endeavor on your mind. So, yes, it is the the Eightfold Path. It's there. Yeah, when I I read a sutra like this, I I mean, that left me wondering, how how did most of modern Buddhism get this so wrong? I was was involved in some of the major uh, Buddhist religions that are around today. And I never ever heard it, I heard it mentioned once or twice, but I never heard a teaching on Four Noble Truths or an Eightfold Path. Where we see, and even in this sutta, the Buddha says, you want to you do it, it's through an Eightfold Path. You know, and we have it and we're doing it. And we're having that effect. Thank you, Kevin. Dustin, good to see you. Good to see you, John. Um, Let me see you, actually. <laughs> I've been in the presence of people who have met the Dalai Lama. I'm not sure, I'm guessing he's an awakened being. Um, And they said that his state is always joy. He's always in a state of joy. And it feels like, for me, suffering was not experiencing joy in life. That's why I came here. That's why I've been drawn to all the things that I've done to try to experience some sort of spirituality or some sort of relief of stress. So... It appears that our natural state is joy. Yeah, I would argue with that. So I would say our natural state is calm. <coughs> and calm and what? And just dispassionate calm. about everything? 
Well, having a calm mind, it, 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 I mean, there's nothing wrong. I'm not trying to argue with you either, Dustin, by the way. No, not at all, but I'm just uh, saying what in that the, state The goal of, of the Buddha's Dhamma is not to have joy in your life. It's to understand. And through that understanding, we have a, a mind that's rooted in, in calm and peace. That's is the, joy something you have in your life, or is joy a state that you exist, like a field that you exist in? Well, I... We've got to be careful that we're not looking at words as acquisitions, meaning I'm going to do this because then I can live in an, an eternal state of joy. Because but it sounds like what David was sort of, I don't know if he's confused or asking about is, once you awaken, is the world just gray? Oh, no. You, you, the, the, the world is much more vibrant when you understand what's actually occurring because you're not, you're not averse to anything. But you're experiencing it all without the need for anything to be any different. It's a very hard concept for people to understand because it sounds like that I need to be describing what's occurring. I need to have me in it or I won't, it won't be a meaningful experience. So it's hard to understand what would life be like. It, it seems it might be all gray. It might be blah. No, it's not. Each and every moment is meaningful. But we don't need to seek joyful things in order to have joy in our life that type of joy becomes a natural consequence of a calm and peaceful mind. That's what I mean. That's yeah. a natural consequence of what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a state yeah. of being. Yeah. Yeah, we're not seeking joy. We seek happiness. Right. We well, seek pleasure. We seek things like that. Joy is a state that I think, like, plants are in or animals or, you know, things that are just present <clears> in the <throat> moment experience a state of joy as if that is our natural state. Until stress is put upon us, like a baby starts crying when stress enters, right? Mm -hmm. So it feels to me like if I was to look at it almost like karma, like we're a beach ball and karma is the weight that holds the beach ball under the water. And as soon as we start to alleviate that karma, the beach ball starts to come to the surface, right? And rise to its natural state, which what state would that be? Contentment. Yeah, another yeah, word. Another word for a calm mind is a content mind. So, it to me, to me, the most joyful thing I ever developed is understanding. You seem joyful when you're teaching. You I seem am. joyful all the time. I am. Well, once in a while, Bodhi gets me going. I've never thought of myself in recent times as joyful. But I, I do, when I look in the mirror, I see someone who's rather content. And I never was. So to me, that's, that's the ultimate joy. It comes from understanding what it means to be a human being. I think we're just getting and, stuck on the word joy. Yeah, yeah, and I think we're all saying the same well, thing. That, yeah, we can get hung. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, why, we're, yeah. we, that's why we, we have to talk about it, but we can't get, we can't get hung up on words. <laughs> but to say that the, the word, word developing... A mind of calm or midwinter retreat. Uh, it's going to be in t Sunday's newsletter, uh, the first weekend of February, is on the meaning of calm because we we talk about it, and we're going to uh, broaden our definition so we can see what it really means, what it encompasses. It encompasses everything. It, it encompasses joy. It 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 it, it, it encompasses sadness. But it's not a sadness that we run from. It's not a sadness that we take things personal. I mean, I, I, geez, I, I looked at 
Yeah, every, I tell you, once in a while I watch the news. I saw the, the, uh, the, the, the tornadoes that went through Kentucky. And I saw these little kids walking around and, you know, just in a daze. I was sad. But I didn't take it personal. I didn't, I didn't rail against God for tornadoes. I didn't, I didn't lose my mind over climate change. Look at those bastards that, that, that let their cows fart and they did this. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But I had honest compassion for these poor little kids that are walking around with no home. I mean, I mean I, you can't be a human being and not see something like that and be sad. But it's, it's not a sad that's driving me to, to be angry about it or to create fantastic blame, fab, fabricated blame for why that happened. We've been having, I mean, immediately we went into, I just, yeah, I don't want to go here. Um, John, cause others to be angry. Yeah, it, 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 we, we create other scenarios for something that's just occurring and has always occurred. And we make it much more than it is. But we become anything other than self. John, I, um, that state that, that, you're trying to, that you're talking about, I, I would imagine would be in our deepest level of genre. You know, when, hmm. when you go so deep, that's probably our state of being that we should be in, right? Maybe when we're awakened. I don't know. That that deep, pure state of, you feel content. You yeah. Know, it's, just, it's just total, complete peace, tranquility, and contentment. And, and I don't know, it just... But there has I, to so, be a feeling there. That contentment has to have some sort of energy to it, right? A, like a field. Yeah, well, just think of that statement. Well, again, we're, we're, we're using, we're using a word to describe a quality of mind, but the, the, the energy for that mind is not contentment. The energy for that mind is understanding. It's understanding what it means to be a human being, being that brings contentment. So contentment is just describing. You know, contentment doesn't have its own energy. It's describing the quality of an awakened human being's mind. It allows you to have skillful joy, skillful unhappiness, that you're not looking for it to be anything different than what it is. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so it could be, you, you could define it as joy. You know, we, that, that might be your definition of what it means to be an awakened human being, provided it's from that dispassionate, impersonal way of looking at it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can say the one thing I've learned coming here is stress comes from taking things personal. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes, that's really important. Yeah. That I see really about myself and everyone thoughts. in my yeah. family. Yep. When we take things personally, we immediately experience stress. Absolutely. Yeah. When we take things personal, we become stressed. Yes. Mm-hmm. When we don't, we become calm. That's right. It's just, and that's the dawn. In fact, that's my next book, I and mean, it's going to be two lines. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be 500 pages with two lines. Thank you, Dustin. There's like an under, a little bit of an undercurrent here, and that is that, and there was a reason why there was a lot of questions that people asked the Buddha that the Buddha didn't answer, because when you get into trying to understand what it looks like to be awakened too much, it may cause grasping, so just... Go with the flow. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why it's important to, to, um, again, we're going to talk more about Pasadi Calm, to to hold that in mind. That's where I'm I'm, I'm going towards calm. I'm going towards being content. Mm. And again, think about that. Why wouldn't any human being want to be content? Of course they do. Then the question is, why don't they? 
Why don't they? Why are 900, how many people? 900 billion people? Why don't they? Because they're ignorant of how to do it. That's what Siddhartha recognized. Again, this, the common human ill is ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And it's lasted throughout human history. I don't know if it's going to last till tomorrow. I mean, impermanence said that it, maybe it won't. But I know for me right here and right now, I'm glad that I have these teachings and I can understand them in a way that is meaningful for me. And I also, Dustin, you hear me say this often, one of the great value of a sangha like this and these discussions is it shows the quality of your mind. You wouldn't have that question even if you weren't developing the Dhamma in the right context. Yeah. Because it's, the, it's your understanding that's bringing that important question to mind. You know, that, this, that's why this works so well, too. So yeah, thank you, Dustin. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah. Nina? Um, I learned a lot from this teaching. I have this, um, like you mentioned, I have this like visual of karma being a scale and you have like good karma and bad karma and you're constantly trying to like balance it out. Yeah. So then you get in this loop, right? Where you're just like moving coins from one side to the other. Yeah. And creates more suffering. So that that was really helpful. Yeah. Um and also seeking happiness creates the same amount of suffering as being averse to something. Oh sure it does, yeah. Also huge in yeah. my because even if we get the object of our desire, almost immediately we're going to want something else, yeah. no matter what it is. You know, I mean, I, I had that experience with a lot of different things, particularly buying new... There was a time in my life when I was making some decent money. I was buying new cars, and they always disappointed me right after I bought them. Because yeah. they lost money, and where's the next one coming from? You know? so, uh, but we do, that with, we do that with everything. That, that um, common malaise or common discontent it's uh, seeking change. Seeking change for more. Why? It, again, if I was content with myself, why do I want to change? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to change anything if I was content. That doesn't mean I stop doing things. You know, but the things we do will be much more meaningful and, and much more helpful for ourselves and so for other people too. That's why I said the most loving thing I can do for myself and for all others is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. Not that it's up to me to save the world. But at least we'll contribute to that in some way. So, thank you, Nina. Online, um, I can't, can't see who's there. Let's go, Mary. How are you? I'm good, John. Um, it's a wonderful class. I think when you experience um, becoming, in terms of what the Buddha meant, even in the slightest way that's how your questions get answered mm. that you return to the practice i'm traveling a lot but my practice is sustained um and going well and you keep the eightfold path and the four noble truths you know however you do that till you get it to be fully integrated into your walking around life um the answers come in the experiences that you have. So that when you're experiencing angst, it's telling you, it's telling you, right? It's telling yeah. you, there, there's the awareness and there's the knowing. And when you, you know, get through a day without that or without things that used to be very difficult, then that's the path working. 
Yeah. And so, so sometimes I feel in class that I should have a question or that I should have something you know really smart to say and all of that. But as I'm listening and I'm recalling the first time I understood becoming um, powerful moment for me. Yeah. Um, that was the lesson. I guess is what I wanted to share, is that was the lesson. It's in the knowing that you know. <laughs> that might yeah. sound silly, yeah, but it's right. in the experience and the knowing that you you keep going. Yeah. And you come back to the practice and you stay on the course and you find the balance of, you might have thought becoming um something else in this life was the way to go because those are all the indicators in the world that tell you what you should become, right? Yeah. But you can become a doctor, but also become awakened. And as long as there is no I in, and, and that self-referential thing goes away. Someone also asked, you know, how do you do it? It's in the knowing that the baggage falls off your back. You know, that big bag you're carrying around about self-loathing or I should have, I would have, I could have, or I'm not good enough, whatever it is. That, that's the severing yeah. is in the knowing and in the experiencing it for yourself, um, in my humble opinion. Thank you, John, for the teaching. That's great, yeah. And the knowing is the knowing. <laughs> Papa, Papa, I said, I am what I am. <laughs> see you, Adam. Yeah. Good to see you. Hello, Jeff. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. Um, awesome class. You're an awesome teacher. And it's an awesome son of a bitch. It is. You're a part of it, Jeff. I appreciate that. Um, no, I was just, I was just contemplating that uh, there, there's, uh, there can be an aversion to becoming too, can't yep. there? Yeah. I would say everybody, it's a common thing is aversion to, to becoming, especially in the beginning of Dharma practice. Mm-hmm. You know? And that manifests as this, this fear of annihilation itself. What's going to become of me when I let go of all these wrong views of self? You know, it's a, it's a, a common fear that develops. But, yeah. the, but the Eightfold Path um, allows us to recognize even that and abandon that. Well, I'm, I'm a little distracted this morning, uh, just because I'm making arrangements to travel yeah. and uh, thinking about, uh, it, 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 struggling a little bit with keeping the experience impersonal, yeah. uh, just, just for context, people, I'm about to get on a plane to go get surgery and, uh, it's going to be a health challenge and, uh. So I'm not really apprehensive about the surgery so much as is the experience afterwards, right? So I'm maybe not the most uh, concentrated this morning, but uh, I, I really appreciate uh, everything you guys have shared. Yeah, thank you, Jeff, and thanks for sharing that. And um, your quality of mind is right where it should be, isn't it? You know, what is to be is what is here. Uh, but yes, I, I catch myself with a little apprehension yeah. and dissatisfaction 
And then, then I catch myself being dissatisfied with my dissatisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm wondering how I'm going to explain to the surgeon I'd like the two arrows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the suit is coming up. That's beautiful. Be harmless Thanks, to yourself. Guys. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, get in touch with me next week when you can, please. I will. Great. Thank you. Hello, Steve. Hi, John. Thank you for your question. Uh, thank you, everybody, for very interesting comments. I want to simplify this a little bit. So, content is absent of desire. Yep. Karma is mental reaction of life events and becomes based on You got it. You got the gold star. Yeah, not really. Becoming is based on karma. That's the last thing that Steve said. I don't know if you all heard it. It is. So, and if we, so if we abandon the, or recognize and change the consciousness that is fueled by craving, then karma is no longer. It's no longer there. It can't grow. We haven't given it any sustenance. Thank you, Steve. Kevin, how are you? Doing well. Good morning, Jadon. Uh, good morning, everybody. Really nice to hear everybody sort of get into this sort of dense teaching. Uh, one point that had occurred to me of clarification that might be helpful, um, you know, in the sutta, the Buddha refers to past karma as our sixth sense base. And if we look at all of our journeys here on the Eightfold Path, when we didn't have something to interrupt self-referential thought, we created karma, we created stress, we lived sort of this life, we didn't know where we were going, who we are in the world. We come to a Sangha, we have teachings such as John's Restored here, and, and we have something to interrupt that thinking. We have now the Eightfold Path to replace that self-referential viewpoint. And when we're holding in mind the Eightfold Path and we're practicing that throughout our lives, we, we are extinguishing our karma. We're not experiencing that stress from the same point of view, from wrong view, as we've heard. Um, you know, the Buddha often describes arahants as ones who scatter rather than gather or who discard rather than acquire. And that's sort of what this process is. Before yeah. we knew about the Eightfold Path, before we had understanding, which is leading us to our wisdom now to understand this world, we we would acquire experiences the only way we knew how, through our six senses, through I was here, I was there, I was I wanted this, I needed this, I was stressed, I was happy, I was joyful, I was angry, whatever it was, it's all from I. Yeah. We've now come to a point together and through this teaching we are able to discard that and live our lives at ease we are, we are not stressed about acquiring things when we get things that we enjoy we enjoy them with the people we are we have truly enriching moments and when we don't get what we want we are calmer than we would have been we, we have a new way out now so uh really great to see where all of us have uh, taken this thank you everybody thank you kevin there's a gentleman i don't i think it's your first time um would you like to say hello identify yourself i can't quite read your name on the screen either it's, it's possibly me, John. Oh. Is it the person who joined late? Yes. Tom. Yeah. What? 
Hello, Tom. What does it say on the screen? No, it's just me. It's my. It's the same person. It says bad courses. I think. Oh. oh, sorry. That's the name of my. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's the name of my company. It's, yeah. I'm using the company Zoom account. Well, it's good to see you, Tom. <laughs> yeah. How yeah, are sorry, you? Sorry, it's not a mysterious person called Mad. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm great. Thank you for. I'm, I was a bit late today, so it's still great to be able to just jump on. Yeah, great. Um, so, um, yeah, really enjoyed uh, just listening and, and taking it in. And uh, also wish um, Jeff a, a, a peaceful, calm, calm um, yeah. mind. Um, as he goes through his surgery, um, and uh, yeah, that's all I've got. Um, just uh, thanks for thanks thanks to you and the, uh, everyone in the sangha for, for for all your inputs. Uh, thank you for joining us and for your input too. Uh, all right, we're going to continue. There's three more classes in this uh, structured study. Uh, we'll conclude on New Year's Day. There won't be a class next Saturday, Christmas Day, um, but there will be one on New Year's Day. And in tomorrow's email, there's there's a few events that are, are noted. One is our uh, Sangha dinner on January 13th. That's a Thursday night. And our midwinter retreat, uh, there's a link to that. That begins on February 4th, I think. That'll be here. That'll be here and uh, online. And there's a link to our spring retreat. I don't have much information, uh, but just you, the dates are there. So put the dates aside. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. If you are going to join us at the Donna dinner, just send me an email just so I can tell the restaurant how many people to expect and just to reserve your space. And the same thing with the, with the retreat. Uh, this, you know, we, we probably don't want to have more than 12 or so people in here uh, too. So, All right, that'll go out in tomorrow's email. We'll finish today with Meta as we always do. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Peace. Peace. Greetings, friends. 
I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.